All right. Hello, everyone. I'm Eric Bevino, host of the Mobius Connect podcast focused on connecting military veterans to the maintenance and reliability community. Our aim here is to bridge the understanding gap between the military and civilian worlds, thereby improving the veteran transition journey and ultimately providing hope and a helping hand to any of our brothers and sisters out there struggling to find their way. We'll do this by interviewing veterans who have successfully made it through. For this session, we've chosen to interview one such Navy veteran, Hugh Donnell, whose fascinating and patriotic story is a must listen for anyone interested in joining us on this mission. Welcome, Hugh. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Eric. I'm, I'm pleased to be here today. Awesome. How are things in your world? Are you in Indiana today? I'm in uh, central Indiana, or actually southern Indiana, or in Columbus, Indiana, which is about uh, 45 uh, minutes south of Indianapolis. Uh, bright sunny day, 80 degrees, and uh, summer is here. Summer's here. Happy Friday to, to you and everybody listening today. So why don't we get right into it? Uh, if you don't mind, we'll start with you know, who you are, what you do today, and then we'll dial back to the early years. Who is Hugh Donnell? Hey, hey thanks, Eric. Yeah, so my, uh, my position today is uh, Senior Vice President, Business Development, and uh, Corporate Sustainability for a company called Opal Fuels, who is a um, renewable natural gas and hydrogen fuel provider that is positioned to um, developing um, a uh, infrastructure for the use of this fuel in transportation industry uh, in North America. So uh, we know that diesel engines are going to um, not likely meet emissions by 20, uh, 2027. And so there's a big scramble going on right now in North America to figure out which fuels will replace that to get to a cleaner footprint. So my role with Oval Fuels is to work with the large fleets, uh, the largest fleets in the country, to help them transition through this process as a navigator, if you will. And again, um, I'm a somewhat of a subject matter expert in the space and um, uh, for my 28 years with Cummins Engine Company. So I just left Cummins uh, about two or three months ago and made this transition over here. I, I was with Cummins for over 28 years. Uh, specifically working in this space, and uh, and upon my retirement, I moved over to Opal. So, anyways, the, the upshot of it is um, there's a big scramble going on in North America right now, um, and goods movement and uh, technologies and um, uh, renewable natural gas uh, is uh, the favored uh, moving forward. I know there's a lot of discussion around EV and hydrogen and uh, fuel cells. Some of those sort of things, but uh, for the near term, uh, I, the uh, renewable natural gas is the fuel of choice. Uh, it's uh, plentiful, it is affordable, and it's available today. And running with Cummins renewable natural gas engines, we certify, uh, frankly, at a net sub zero emission. So, uh, all of the good things that we um, have been working on for several years is coming together. And uh, we have a technology uh, for the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts of the world, uh, all these large fleets have an option to go to a low cost uh, energy uh, domestic fuel and uh, meet all emission requirements in the, throughout the United States. So that's kind of what I've been doing and uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, new technology and uh, a lot of uh, great people working together to uh, make this happen. 
Uh, sounds fantastic, Hugh. Congratulations on your retirement, your career at Cummins and transitioning into another business development role, which I think is really interesting for this podcast as well, because there is a focus on maintenance and reliability in, in the natural transition that service members can make. Probably, or I guess probably the, the notion here is that there's a there's a specific system within the Navy or the Army, the Marines, the Air Force in, in learning maintenance, learning about yeah, machinery, if you're thus inclined, and then segueing that into a civilian career, which we'll go to next and in, in like how you started and in, in how you got interested in the Navy and, and what did you do in the Navy and how that sort of manifested. Maybe, I don't know this part of your journey, but maybe you started in some sort of maintenance or reliability or even an operations field, uh, maybe not, or maybe you started in pure business development. But I think hearing you say things like, I'm the, I'm, I help navigate and these are fleets, you know, they're all sort of Navy terms wrapped in <laughs> to what's, go, what's going on in your current job. But uh, yeah, so where did it all start for you, Hugh? Yeah, thanks, Eric. So this is an interesting story, and and uh, I'm somewhat in disbelief myself to sort of uh, <laughs> review this mentally about kind of what, what happened and how it evolved. But um, when I graduated high school in 1973, um, I you know I had generally had been working uh, around um, mechanical things, uh, engines, um, you know, just a, a general gearhead, if you will. And my family has uh, had a, a long history of uh, Navy service. And uh, I grew up in Maine, which is kind of a, a, a barren place in the wintertime. So, you know, when I graduated, I went to vocational school for uh, one semester. And I thought, you know, it's just more of the same. Really wasn't all that interesting. And uh, so anyways, I uh, joined the Navy uh, and uh, actually um, reported to um, Great Lakes Naval Training Center, uh, actually at the... Uh, Recruit Training Center in Great Lakes in the February '74, and uh, you know it was the first time I'd ever been out of the state of Maine. And uh, boot camp was uh, in February. Chicago was kind of cold, <clears throat> but about a great uh, team that I worked with up there. And I went to boot camp. Upon leaving boot camp, I went to A school, and my rating was engineman. So my my designated um, role was going to be as an engineman. So I was an E1 when I got out of uh, boot camp. Um, I went to a training, um, which was sort of a, a very interesting for me because I was working on gas turbines, these large diesel engines, submarine engines, um, getting you know certified and qualified on all that stuff. It was, it was just really a blast. I'd never seen anything like this before. A lot of the technology you know, in those days was dipping back into World War II vintage products, but also, as I said, uh, gas turbines and some of those sort of things were also in the forefront. So we, in the, you know, the, the Navy was in transition on these technologies um, and eventually moved into gas turbines and nuke um, uh, later on, but uh, I was um, uh, exposed to a lot of this stuff. Anyway, so when I got out of uh, um, out of A school, um, I was uh, shipped out to um, a place called Sardinia, Italy, and um, I was on the um, Howard W. Gilmore's uh, subtender. We were sort of isolated duty. Actually, we were in isolated duty, and we were taking care of a squadron of 
Fastidex subs um, operating the Mediterranean and North Atlantic. Um, and, and so I was there for 14 months. Actually, I was supposed to be there for uh, 10 months. And the chief engineer um, sort of, um, and I worked out a deal. I, I really worked pretty hard when I was there to try to get uh, qualified in all the engineering spaces I did. I did in record time. Uh, and then I, I uh, anyways, the chief engineer approached me and said, hey, you know, we have a lot of people leaving right now and you probably more qualified than most. Would you stay on? And if you stay on, we'll move you into C-School. And C-School uh, in those days, um, was only given to those people who had re-enlisted. And my original enlistment was four years. And uh, so I did not have to uh, uh, enlist or extend to get C-School if I stayed a couple more months to help them out. So I did that. Um, it was a very good experience. Uh, you know, between all the submarine activity that was going on, uh, isolated duty, we were doing a lot of uh, really cool things. But more importantly on that ship, we had no shore power. So we were running our engines constantly give power to the ship, um, our repair ship, but also the subs when they came alongside as well. So uh, it was very worthwhile work. It was meaningful, and we were getting something done. Um, anyways, went on to sea school and uh, up in Great Lakes Training Center again. And while I was there, I was uh, getting the advanced training uh, for uh, more equipment, more engines. I was uh, selected and uh, recommended and um, to work in Washington, D.C. Um, when I left. So my role there was, um, I, was asked, I was asked to uh, move to Washington, D.C., work for the White House. Um, so I worked uh, for, um, um, I was an onboard engineer of the, uh, the Sequoia, which was the president's yacht. So, uh, so I'm moving around quite a bit here, but you know, hang on. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's 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 all good. It's all good. Let me uh, give you a little bit of a break here. Um, Sardinia, nice place to get stationed after you know learning what the Navy's all about in the very cold. Uh, I won't call it tundra, but off off of Lake of Michigan at Great Lakes, and and you did so well, you got sent back. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting, and and got qualified. I think part of the Part of the program here that uh, is is interesting that a lot of people may not realize is the way that at least I'm familiar with in the Navy and when I reported on board in my first ship to getting qualified on the systems in the ship that that you're you're part of you're part of that ecosystem is really really important and and sort of hand tracing all the lines, the water lines, the fire, fire mains, the, the hydraulic lines, the fuel, the main reduction gears, everything like that uh, just gives you such a, a huge appreciation for the system, this, this, the ship as a system and in the importance of maintenance and reliability. And it sounds like you were, you hit the, hit the deck plates running, as they said, when you got there and impressed a bunch of people, right? And then got to uh, do some cool things. I think you told, you've told me, we've known each other for a few years. And I think you told me about the Sequoia before, but I had forgotten that piece of it. So what kind of duty is that? <laughs> the president, which president was it? I mean, I'd have to, you know, figure out the years, but was that in... But is 78 or 80 or where, when was that? No, no, that was 70, uh, that was 75. So 75. Okay. 
So it's Jerry Ford. And um, so the Nixon administration had just parted the year before when I was in Sardinia. And uh, and then the election came up in 76. And so, um, yeah, so the duty is very interesting duty. Um, we had uh, really nothing really special in the engine room, but it was mine. Uh, and the guys who preceded me actually did a great job in setting up the engine room. Lots of chrome. It was just, it was, it was, it was a showboat. <laughs> really was. And a delight for, to work in there. And we never really accumulated a lot of hours on these engines, relatively speaking, but uh, we rebuilt them every year. And um, um, so the duty was, uh, particularly during the election year, a lot of people were brought down to the Sequoia from the White House, uh, senior aides. Um, you know, uh, Nelson Rockefeller was the vice president at the time. He was bringing a lot of people down. We'd go down the cruise down in Potomac. And you get down to uh, Mount Vernon, uh, Washington's um, a farm down there, and then they do a we do a 21 gun salute down there, and it wasn't really a you know guns because we didn't have guns on board, but it was a, a lot of a very uh, uh, formal military um, ceremony uh, that is observed when you do that when you go by Washington's uh, estate down there or his, uh, the burial area. So. Uh, it's all part of the thing. You get chefs that come in from the White House that bring in food. I mean, the dining was fabulous. And of course, you know, the, the crew, I'm down in the engine room most of the time, but right off the engine room was the kitchen. And so I would hang out in the kitchen and I'd get great food. I mean, it was awesome. But uh, we would put in our full day's work and then um, and then cruise the evening till about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Um, and during that summer, we would do a lot of back-to-back -back trips day after day. And uh, so it was cleaning everything up when you get back, get everything prepped for the next day, make sure everything was 4-0, everything was just, you know, neat as a pen, and expecting guests coming in again the late afternoon uh, the next day, and uh, again, hosted by a senior aide. Uh, in fact, in those days, Jerry Ford's kids used to use the boat as well, and they would take their friends on cruises down there. So... Uh, we moved into 1976, which is the centennial year. And so there was an enormous amount of, of fireworks going on and, and all kinds of celebrations going on in D.C. And the Sequoia was right in the middle of all of that. So it was really very cool. Uh, and again, for a young man, um, you know, I was only in my second year, two and a half years in my tour in the Navy. And I, you know, I bounced around all these great places, and, you know. I really found that I applied myself and I worked really hard. And the result of that was greater opportunities every time. And, you know, I, I, you know, for that reason, I thought, boy, this is just a really cool place to work. Um, it really wasn't work to me. I just, I just consumed all of it. I just really enjoyed it. And, and I was rewarded for it. So, um, so at the end of the election, Jerry Ford did not get reelected and Jimmy Carter did a foreign Navy man himself. And, um, uh, he had actually worked for Admiral Rickover in the nuclear programs. And so everybody kind of thought and assumed that this would be, you know, a good favor for the yacht and we'd get a lot more use and so on and so forth. Uh, within, uh, within 30 days or 45 days of uh, Carter taking over, he wanted to get rid of the Sequoia. He thought it wasn't <laughs> worth it. It was a little waste. <laughs> so. This is probably a very obscure, unknown story that may not be published yeah. anywhere, to be quite it honest, except be. for right here. <laughs> it may not be. So he wanted to uh, get rid of the Sequoia. And uh, so I thought, boy, it's time to ship out. So 
um, I uh, went over to the Pentagon, actually. Uh, in those days, you go to the Pentagon, and, and if you're in the fleet, you know, you, you're kind of corresponding with these guys. But the cool thing in Washington was you go over and talk to the guys and find out what was available for your rating and kind of pick it. And they, they found a location for me in North Carolina uh, on a base over there. Basically, it was really pretty easy work. And then the other option was a destroyer escort that was um, um, stationed out in Galveston, Texas. And I only had about 18 months left, a little about 14 months left in the Navy. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to go, I don't want to sit on a, you know, a comm station, you know, watching the emergency generators and just doing that sort of stuff. That, you know, that'd be pretty easy duty. I wanted that destroyer escort. I wanted that Greyhound. Man, we went all over the med. Uh, we were chasing Russian ships all the time. We're doing surveillance all the time. We we're running in and out of Cuban waters. I mean, it, it was it was a total blast. Um, there was a lot of work. Um, and in those days on that ship, it was boilers. So I was down in the uh, engine room, uh, down on main control down there when we were at sea. And uh, I loved it. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, I, in retrospect, when I look at it, Eric, you know, I, I was in the Navy for four years. In four years, um, I'd gone through 11 different commands in four years. Four ships, 11 commands. No one does that. I was so fortunate. But again, I, I give credit to, you know, working hard and being recognized for the efforts I made. And, and given all these opportunities, it was just so cool. So, yeah. Oh, I, that's, I really, you know, yeah. And, and hey, let's let's face it. I mean, between the ages of 18 and 22 or thereabouts, you've gotten to meet presidents, diplomats. You've been assigned to, uh, you know, some very hope, high profile activity, a lot of um, international activity, too, at the same time, which. I mean, this this is uh, another thing about the service, particularly the Navy, but the way the service is today, you could be in any branch in any part of the world any day, right? And so, so understanding the nuances of uh, presenting, sorry, I've got my dog here scratching an itch and making a bunch of noise. Frisco, come here. That's the, that's the wonder of digital recording. You know, Kim can <laughs> get rid of all that stuff, but uh, but yeah. So in an in an early phase of of your life, you've been exposed to all this cool stuff, and and just you know, this is not something that somebody's kicking around their hometown, hanging out, no. you know, doing odd jobs is is going to uh, be exposed to. So yeah. Well, when we were in when I was in Sardinia. Um, you know, because it was isolated duty, um, married guys could go over there and take their families. They had to obligate for a two-year gig, and 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 the um, single guys had one-year gig. But in that one year, um, you know, we also had uh, military MAC flights out of Sardinia going all over the place. So went to Oktoberfest in, in Munich, Germany, uh, and the ship every quarter uh, or so. And sometimes more often we would go to a different port. I was in North Africa, I was in Morocco, I was in um, um, Villefranche Samur, Monaco. I mean, I, I went all over the Mediterranean, either on the ship or on MAC flights for the Oktoberfest in Munich. I mean, all those things were available to us, and I presume that they still are today um, for those who have a little bit of sense of adventure. 
Well, this is uh, going to become a Navy recruiting podcast. <laughs> Even though the Navy's probably changed a little bit and Top Gun Maverick came out last weekend, which uh, I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. So there's a lot of Navy recruiting going on this uh, this couple of weeks in 2022. You but Hugh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you have some relatives or some family members who were in the Navy uh, earlier or, you know, who preceded you and what the, what sort of impact that was on you joining the Navy? Was that your father, your mother, grandfather, no, no. uncle? Yeah, my grandfather, my grandfather was on a minesweeper in World War One, And, um, and then my two uncles had gone to, um, Merchant Marine Academy and then went in the Navy, uh, after that. And, um, you know, gave a tour in the Navy after that. So the, the, um, you know, seeing uh, people and uh, Naval officers in my family was common. And, and, and I admired what those guys had done, including my grandfather. They all spoke fondly of their, of their time in the Navy. So I, I, I never, never heard uh, any of the complaining or, or, um, about duty and working hard, they enjoyed it. And, and from those folks, uh, my father was in the Marines, and uh, but but still relatively, he was in the South Pacific during World War II. But the Navy always seemed to me to be a um, a great way to quench my thirst for adventure, and and that really was what it comes down to. I, I I worked hard, but man, I got all the opportunities to see these different things literally all over the world. And it was just really cool, including working in the White House. Who does that? I mean, as, <laughs> right. as well as, as anything's possible. Yeah. And, and, and I was an E5 within two years. It was like, um, and I remember the, the executive officer on my last ship on the Robin A. Owens, you know, you know, we have this recruitment conversation and he says, you know, you've done all these things. It's really cool for you. And, and we can offer you a, a bonus if you would stay. We would like you to stay, and we'd like you to consider going to the warrant officer program and and do all these other things. And it just really, to me, I I was torn a little bit about it, but I wanted to go to university. I you know I wanted to get a degree. I wanted to get to uh, leverage the opportunity around the GI Bill, yeah, which I did. And uh, so uh, it was a great. I had not only a great time in the four years I was there. But the GI Bill helped me through college for the next four years. So there were remnants of, of that first four years investments coming back to me as well. So my only regret was, um, to be honest with you, was that I hadn't uh, opted for the reserve program. Mm. I really should have done that. I, I, I really enjoyed the Navy a great deal. But, you know, college was college. And, uh, and uh, I probably should have um, uh, done the reserve option there as well. But I didn't. Um, I had one heck of a good time and I learned a lot. And, but I, but I learned that, um, if you really apply yourself, you, you, in, in the military, um, you, you can go places. You really can. Um, and it's very rewarding. So yeah, I had a really, um, a really good time. Oh, that's a great story, Hugh. Thanks for sharing with us here. I, I didn't know all that. And I think it's uh, pretty cool that your grandfather was on a minesweeper in World War One. I, I might have served on the same minesweeper in 1990. Well. <laughs> 
I, I think it was a, uh, or at least I was told it was a Korean War vintage uh, Minesweeper, but it was from, well, it was from the 50s. I think it was commissioned in the 50s, the exploit. But uh, but in any case, that yeah, that's really, really cool. And, and I can see how you would be a candidate for the Warrant Officer Program or even OCS or, or anything like that. So, so you transitioned out from Texas then, I guess, from uh, the destroyer ex- escort and then came back to Indiana yeah. or, or, well, I don't yeah. know, back to Indiana. Did you have relatives that, that brought you there? Actually, I, I, uh, I grew up in Maine. Hey, so I'm yeah. originally from Indiana. So uh, yeah, when I got out um, um, of the Navy, um, uh, I in '78, I was uh, I went back to Maine and uh, enrolled at the University of Maine and did my four years of college at the University of Maine. Ah, that um, makes that makes more sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I see you. That our listeners can't see us here because we're on video, but you're wearing an IU sweatshirt. Maybe your daughter went there or something well, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so back to Maine uh, for for college, and and what did you take up there? Uh, I got a degree in um, uh, political science and history, and. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I had this in my mind, I thought maybe I would uh, consider going to, back to teaching. Um, but as uh, after I get out of college, uh, I was enticed by a, a local uh, General Motors dealer to consider uh, getting into um, purchasing a dealership. And uh, at the time, uh, in the late 70s, General Motors was actually trying to consolidate a lot more. So uh, I worked there for about 10 years, so maybe 12 and um, and uh, I had uh, been uh, considering a career change, and I was approached by someone from Cummins Engine Company. And uh, Cummins, um, you know, uh, talked to me about being uh, joining the company and um, working in the region of the Northeast. Uh, I did. I took the position uh, as a regional sales manager for Cummins, and I was responsible for Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And, uh, and I did that for about three years. And, um, and at the time, they said, you know what? Um, you need to come back to the mothership uh, to Indiana, uh, which is where the corporate headquarters was. And um, I took on a role as a what we call a launch coordinator, which was, uh, in essence, you manage the launch of a particular product. In this case, it was a 15-liter engine um, that was going to be the predominant uh, engine for on highway business for Cummins for the next uh, 30 years. So um, I had no background or experience whatsoever in doing that, but they handed it to me and they helped guide me through that process. And I did that for the first couple of years until we launched the product, then went to the field for about a dozen years in a variety of different roles, but largely more and more responsibilities added up to that. Um, and then... Um, uh, I did a stint in Boston uh, for about 18 months, then came back to Columbus, Indiana. And uh, for the last uh, dozen years, I uh, was a business uh, growth and development uh, for our natural gas uh, program um, and, uh, and part of a joint venture, which has been a blast. Uh, it's been a great deal of, of um, experience uh, that I've been able to apply towards that role. Um, the preceding 10 years to that role, actually, I was in national account. So I took care of accounts like Walmart, J.B. Hunt, um, and some of the larger fleets in the country uh, were my responsibilities to manage with our team. Uh, so moving into the natural gas role, um, 
uh, continued on that path. So um, that's generally where I ended up uh, when I, uh, after my 28th year, uh, the joint venture was going to uh, retire. So I've, I've had several different um, uh, opportunities from a variety of different companies uh, interested to find out what I was going to do post joint venture. And Opal approached me with a, a good offer and a, and a uh, good opportunity to continue what I've been doing, frankly, my entire life, which is working in the uh, transportation industry, engine business, maintenance, um, equipment, uh, specking, support, troubleshooting, all of those sort of things that uh, get a little bit easier, believe it or not, over years, you acquire a lot more knowledge. And um, uh, it, it becomes more and more interesting. And, and I, I wake up in the morning today, just as I did um, uh, have for the last 35 years, uh, very interested to find out what's going to happen, what we need to do today to get the job done, take care of our customers, make sure that the equipment is operating properly, and um, um, and, and delivering uh, the goods that uh, everybody seeks, uh, either through a grocery store or UPS or FedEx. Uh, so it's all being part of that chain, if you will. So what would you attribute that, uh, that pattern or that, that habit, Hugh? I mean, did you, were, you, were you born into the family that ingrained those, those sorts of habits of always learning or, or, or understanding, or did your experience in the, in the military help cement or create those habits? Like, here's what's on the schedule, the plan of the day, how are we going to get from point A to point D, point B and C and D and all that? What, what would you attribute? Because clearly you're a lifelong learner and you've always impressed me in your, your ability to retain information about a variety of things. The, it makes sense that you were in poli sci and it, but did, did the, the time in the Navy sort of encourage or inspire you to, to grow and, and accumulate? Or was that something that you, uh, from your family that you learned? A good question. I think I would have to um, give a little bit of credit both sides of that one, Eric. But yep. um, what I think happened in the Navy was um, as you're growing up and you're a student and I could have been a better student than I was, but it, it was difficult for me to connect um, all the commitments you have to do to school work. And frankly, it wasn't seeing the big opportunity after getting out of high school. And so connectivity is kind of important. And if you're gonna make investments in your time and effort, you've got to have sort of, you know, you're gonna have visibility of what what is gonna what is possible. When I got in the Navy though, it was very clear to me the more I committed to this, uh, the more I was getting out of it. There was a direct correlation from the sacrifices I made to spending, you know, countless hours taking extra watches for, for colleagues and, and friends, I was learning. And as I learned more, I got more responsibilities. And I was rewarded for learning more as I went along. So I think that, you know, I generally had um, a, a disconnect, I think, in my youth until I graduated. But the Navy just reinforced to me, um, you know, the, the benefits of, um, getting return on your investments. The more you invest, the more you get a return on that. And it was always positive feedback. So for me, it, it was uh, probably a, a, the beginning of a life of and career that um, allowed me to commit more and more of my time to get acquire more and more knowledge. 
and as each step went through, I got more responsibilities and more benefits associated with that. So um, I think the Navy really probably was the point where um, it, it really sort of ingrained in me a work ethic that, um, that, that recognized that the more I worked, the harder I worked, um, the, the more I would get from it and be rewarded for it as well. Uh, one of the one of the most pure forms of meritocracy that uh, we it, that still exists today, at least at the you know the certainly from the E one to probably the E six or E seven levels, and and maybe the O one to the O five levels. I hit a little bit of the glass ceiling uh, trying to get to O six because of perhaps some missteps along the way. But we won't talk <laughs> talk too much about that. But uh, certainly a lot of meritocracy, and really a great example of adult learning and, and connecting those dots for people. I mean, think about the, the amount of time and effort that it had to go into creating a system for uh, any type of person from any, anywhere in, in the country, no matter your race, you know, creed, color, religion, any of that. Um, and, and saying, if I do a, I get B or I can get B and uh, really ingraining those habits. And I think when, when folks, perhaps come out and transition after four years sounds sounds like you converted that energy into college right the next thing which was more challenge more learning and more relatively quick feedback at the end of every semester but if if people miss that or fall into the the gap between the transition between active duty and the civilian world or they go into a place that doesn't reward that type of learning. It can feel like a miss and, and can, you know, we can, we can get, uh, you know, frustrated by it. People can get frustrated by that and then end up, you know, choosing a different path that's not as productive. So very, very interesting stuff. And I do want to highlight what you mentioned on the reserves too, since I, I did transition in the reserves, you say that that was one of your regrets. I mean, maybe it would have been more fun, maybe not. I mean, everybody has their opinion of the reserves. I, I in particular had a great time in the reserves and the, in the diving community. I actually did more diving in the reserves than I did on active duty uh, as, as the case may be and would recommend that to anybody making the transition. So yeah, very good. Well, thanks for- Well, the last- Yeah, go the ahead. Last boat I was on. The last boat I was on, Eric, um, it's interesting. It was, it, was, it was a destroyer escort, and um, uh, we were uh, posted down in Galveston, Texas, and we were the only floating navy in Texas. And uh, uh, so, as, there, as a result of that, we were also where the reservists came to do their duty on weekends. Mm. And so, when we get underway, um, the reservists would have jump on board with us and do their little thing. You know, they do two week uh, gig during the year, and great guys and just a, every one of them was just really you know, very cool and and the stuff that we were doing in there is is uh, on patrol uh and then chasing the russians all over the gulf of mexico and and you know, all, all all the way down through the caribbean i mean that was our job to follow them and and uh watch what was going on it was, it, you felt like i was really doing something meaningful and um, and, and I had a sense of purpose for doing that, but also the reserve guys were very cool. Uh, some of the guys I knew known in other ships, uh, in my career and, um, 
it was just a very good time for me, and I and I had a great deal of respect and regard for the reservists. And uh, as I said, I, I if anything, I maybe made the misstep and um, didn't do that, but uh, oh well. Well, and that's that's thank you for relating that and uh, being vulnerable here too, because I mean that's what this is all about. This whole podcast yeah. is like. Like anybody who picks up and listens to the podcast is transitioning out and is trying to make that decision of whether or not to go into the reserves. Maybe they'll check the box of, hey, well, I listened to Hugh and Eric and um, I'm going to try this out for a couple of years and see see what it looks like. So absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, so, yeah. So why don't we segue into. Um, any advice that you would give any service member planning to transition to the civilian world that maybe you wish you had when you made that move? Sounds like your transition was pretty smooth, uh, relatively. <laughs> maybe we haven't talked to well, you did talk about getting the job at the Chevrolet dealer, they sort of came to you and or or you found them somehow. But well, what, what family did, members. Ah, yeah. uh, uh, okay, okay. So, well, the question was, what was I going to do after I got out of college? Yeah. And so when I when I when I um, sort of uh, rotated out uh, of the Navy, it was the spring, and uh, and I registered to go to school at the university. And then after my four years at school, um, we had a, a you know a family acquaintance uh, who owned a dealership and said. You know, you, you you know you ought to consider doing something like this with your degree, and you know you're active and you're you know get a lot of a lot of energy around stuff like this. So, uh, but again, I, it didn't take too long to figure out that that uh, uh, General Motors was trying to downsize the number of dealers that they had in the system. Mm. They wanted to consolidate a lot of these dealers and um, um, make them more solvent, frankly, and. So, you know, I lived in a, on the coast of Maine and there's not an awful lot of, you know, big dealers, mega dealers and those sort of things. And the opportunities really didn't strike me as being that favorable. And, um, and frankly, you know, after spending some time on warm weather, you know, whether it's down south in Texas or whether it's in the Carolinas or uh, Sardinia, going to winters in Maine really wasn't that popular with me. It, it became very apparent to me that, um, um, uh, there is um, uh, warmer places to be in the wintertime. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and although I love s- snow skiing and ice fishing and all that other stuff, um, cold is cold. And, and uh, the Navy showed to me how different people live around the world um, and different climates um, may suit you better than others. And the warmer climates really kind of suited me better. So uh, that was, you know, one of the benefits I got out of, being in the Navy, as I mentioned earlier, traveling uh, gave me a better view of what other opportunities were uh, around the world. And um, um, I will be forever uh, grateful to the Navy for that. It was, um, you know, it's, it's still fun. I just I just took my wife and daughter to Sardinia, where I was stationed, and we were there for two weeks. Um, and uh, the base has been abandoned by now, and um, they're no longer there. But the villages on the coast here, where I used to spend time, uh, they, they haven't changed that much at all. And and um, but it's fabulous, we- fabulous weather. 
I was wondering uh, why you picked Sardinia. I didn't ask you uh, when you when you told me the other day that you'd just come back from from being there for a couple of weeks. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough to go to Sicily for three weeks during, with the Navy Reserve. So I know how nice it is. But I was just like, uh, how do we pick Sardinia? So now I know. Now it's uh, the, the loop has been closed. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a place that I really wanted to go back and visit and share that with my family. Um, and, um, and I'm sure other people do that as well, but it, to me, it was, um, um, a very important part of my life and, um, and the weather is always fabulous this time of year and uh, the, the water is just absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's, it, you know, I'm not a diver, um, but you know, I, it, that water would, you had me uh, swimming in it all the time. It was absolutely clear water, beautiful. Fantastic, and and the food wasn't that half bad there either. I'm oh sure. God, <laughs> food was awesome. Um, it, it was everything that I remembered. It was it was great. Fantastic. So, what what advice would you give Hugh? Anybody coming out of the service today? Um, you know, you've worked for for a couple of companies. Um, you've been a hiring manager. You, I'm sure you've seen resumes and stuff like that. What, what are your thoughts uh, or would you, what would you say to somebody coming out of the Navy that was like a, a version of your younger self in uh, 2022? Um, my advice would be is find something that is going to challenge you. Um, I think everybody needs to be challenged. And if it, if it gets mundane, um, and then, then, I, then I don't think you grow anymore. I think the important piece is to find the path of interest, but also look for those things that will challenge you every day to be better at what you do, to deliver a better quality of, of, of work for your employer every day. Those are the sort of things that I think um, are very important. And, and I've seen others may not have challenged themselves as much, but it was easier. Um, I'm probably guilty of not going the easy way out. I, I always try to find a, um, a little bit of work to do to, um, uh, to invest the time to get a little bit smarter. And, and frankly, um, that's always worked out pretty well for me. So that's my advice as you're looking for, if you're going to separate from the, from the Navy or the military, uh, don't go the easy way out. Um, challenge yourself. Find something that's going to be challenging for you that's going to make you work for it every day. And, and, and that's what makes it kind of fun. Believe it or not, it really does. Need, need to be challenged in, in whether you've been, been in for 20 years. I mean, people go in at 18, come out at 38. You got a lot of living left to do oh, a second yeah. career, third career. So yeah. I might as well tune into the passion and, and be challenged. And, and I will say this, I mean, coming out of a, that high speed environment where it's, it's learn, reward, learn, reward, you perform, lead, learn leadership and stuff like that. If, um, if you're not challenged, well, what great advice. It uh, could get boring pretty fast and and you end up uh, statistic like a lot of other folks who leave their first job out of the military in the first two years uh, because they didn't think about it that much or they just grabbed the first thing that came by or whatever. So I think that's great. You advice. know, it's, uh, I'm not going to name the name, but I've been working with a company here for uh, probably the last 30 days. And they are a company 
who is um, heavily invested in um, the development of hydrogen. And hydrogen is going to be a fuel of the future. Virtually everybody on this in this company, it's still it's still a small company. Um, they are uh, getting very well funded by some other companies now who want to partner with them. Every one of those individuals are former military people. Oh, wow. They are, yeah, they're speaking the core. They are squared away. Unbelievable people to work with. Um, very smart, intelligent. Um, and, and, you know, I have no doubt in my mind, these guys are going to be successful. But the, the you know, the... Um, uh, the, the CEO of the company is a former uh, naval aviator, um, and uh, and he's got uh, a former SEAL. He's got um, you know people that are sprinkled out throughout the you know the entire spectrum of jobs within uh, the military. And um, I, I'm just really shockingly impressed with these people. They just landed a thirty million dollar um, uh, partnership with the company. I mean, this just that's what it means. And so if, if you're looking for someone to invest in you, prove to those people that you're worthy of being invested in. And that's what these people did. They, they, they got an understanding of what the technology is, what they need to do. They, they're, they're trying to find partners, partners who invest in them. And for my dollar, uh, I, you know, I would invest in those guys all day long. They are very squared away. And they have that, 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 that military uh, Spring to core that that just you know they're honest and reliable and dependable people, and that's where you want to make those investments. And I think that's the piece when you get out of the military is then you know that's what employers are looking for. They're looking for someone that's squared away, um, and and not lost and wandering. And and I think that's really what what the opportunity is for anybody in the military when they leave, whether it's after you know twenty years or twenty five years or four years. You know, you've got to have some bearing and, and some moral fiber, and and that's where you get it in the military. Sorry, that's just where it is. That's where I got it. Um, family's one part of it, uh, but for sure. But when you join the military, uh, you're not, in my, in my case, I was by myself. I, I was somewhere else, and I couldn't rely upon other people to bail me out. It was me. I had to do that. And once you develop that skill and that, that confidence, that um, it's easily recognizable by your, by your management team or your superiors. No, that's that's a great story and, and analogy. And thanks for the for connecting the dots with the new new age entrepreneurs out there in, in the clean energy space. I mean, it's it's valued uh, understanding the mission. You don't have to have it in the parlance of of military terms that you're familiar with or acronyms but just really understanding what it is uh, that we need to do and how we need to get there. And, and I think the nuance, if you decide to go into business development or, or become an entrepreneur or even maintenance and maintenance management is understanding, understanding who your audience is, understanding that the political environment that you're in the culture of the organization that uh, you're joining, cultural fit's important, and it sounds like the folks at the hydrogen company that you mentioned have have a culture of of performance and uh, are, are taking what they perhaps learned in the military and you know transitioning that to the civilian world for good. So that's fantastic. So 
Is there anything that uh, you would like to share with corporate hiring managers about veterans? Uh, maybe uh, stereotypes that are out there that are are bunk or anything that they need to know uh, to get the best fits for the positions they're looking to fill? You know, co- corporate managers, I think, um, without any background in the military, I think, um, don't have an appreciation for, um, you know, what uh, former military people have to offer. Um, it's, it's a mystery to them. Uh, they, they don't understand the, um, you know, the drive and the, they don't understand, um, you know, the willingness to, you know, put at risk a lot of things to, um, to do your job. They don't, they don't have an appreciation for it always. Uh, some do, some don't, but, but I think for the most part, anybody that does not have that military experience is, is um, it doesn't make them, um, um, a bad person. It just doesn't give them the level of appreciation uh, or understanding um, that uh, uh, the sacrifices military people make along the way to do their job and and to to achieve their objectives. Um, I consider that as I said before as, as being a very um, a key fundamental um, attribute that the military has. Military veterans have. And uh, again, I think it may be underappreciated uh, by the, the civilian space. Um, it, it was a period of time, to be honest with you, Eric, that, that um, you know, talking about being, you know, your experience in the military was really not that popular. And that, that was back, you know, when I was in during the 70s after the war. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was a whole period of time where, man, you just didn't want to be talking about your experience in the military. Um, and that was fine. I, you know what? Uh, I, you know, our, our culture, our, our country went through a, a terrible period of time there. But um, but I was proud of the, my accomplishments, and um, and I appreciated all the the um, the goodwill I got out of it. But uh, uh, that's kind of ebb and flow every once in a while, uh, depending on what politicians do with the military. It's not not what we did necessarily, but what politicians have done to put the military in situations where it's difficult and it's difficult uh, and we get blamed for some stuff that really wasn't our fault. So um, uh, that was a difficult time during the seventies. Yeah. So, well, well said. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if, if I could uh, play some of that back to you perhaps, uh, or at least some of the conversation and you can let me know if I've, I've got it right. Um, any hire, anybody hiring or looking to hire a veteran should be uh, not afraid to give them more than than what they think is is capable by any sort of standard normal standard because I think you're going to get somebody if you you know there are good good veterans and bad veterans too most are good clearly the guys here are good <laughs> right but uh, but most veterans will will take everything that you can give them uh, especially on a learning uh, perspective and uh, and will grow and will know how to follow as well as how to lead. So uh, don't be afraid of them. Um, we're just all regular people at the end of the day. And uh, maybe we have a little bit more here and there to offer. So good. Yeah, I think that that's right. Fantastic. Well, 
Hugh, is there anything that we didn't cover today that you'd like to relate to listeners, either vets or those looking to connect with them? Um, you know, I, um, if, if you're in the military today, uh, if you're recently uh, rotated out, uh, if you are contemplating leaving, I, I think uh, my, my personal view was uh, some regret about uh, the reserves, um, staying tethered a little bit. Uh, uh, versus uh, not, I thought that was really sort of uh, a life lesson for me. Uh, not a great deal of remorse, but because uh, I stayed busy, busy. Uh, it's not as though I was wandering. I was busy doing what I was doing, so that, yep, that, yep. That, uh, I didn't need to fill a, a hole there. But uh, I think there's some real value in, in um, uh, uh, doing 20 years in the military. Um, you know, the active and the reserve piece uh, is a combination there, sure. Um, but, I, I, you know, feel confident that you have been, you know, you have learned from, from very experienced people and you have a, a skill set, you have an experience, you have a, 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 um, um, a, I don't know how to explain it, maybe, areas, you know, you have, stature in, in a community uh, of the people with whom you uh, shared this experience with, military people recognize um, the moral um, standings we have and the work that we have in our work ethics and all those sort of things. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a better person for it, no question about it. And the opportunities that, that were given to me as a result of what I learned in the military. And, and I will you know, I've, I've got no reservations whatsoever to, about recommending to people to consider going in the military. I had classmates in high school who, you know, I tried to convince to join with me and no one <laughs> wanted to go with me. <laughs> and years later, um, it was very clear that that probably I made the right decision and they told me so. <laughs> At, uh, at those high school reunions where uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have some interesting conversations. Well, they, they used to have it as a punishment. The judge would say, well, you're either going to jail or going to the military, right? But, but now I think, I think it's become a, a, a culture of character, maybe what, what you're expressing as well. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, the, the leadership as well as the technical in the people side, um, lot lot to uh lot to explore there and a lot to to give back to the country um no matter what service no matter what gender or or race or anything uh you're coming out of the service with so very good well hugh uh i sincerely appreciate the time thank you for helping us on this mission are you uh, out there on linkedin if people are want yes, to get a hold of you or, or ask for your advice on anything yeah, thank you for asking, Eric. Yes, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, and thank you for the opportunity to, frankly, re relive uh, my my military experience because it's, 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 it's sort of faded uh, for me a little bit. But since we started talking about it, I started writing things down. I thought, oh, I forgot about this. And I forgot about that. And, <laughs> and so I had this kind of cheat sheet that I put together, which was going to be like three or four lines, which turned into a full page now. And it's like of all of those sort of things that, that, that I... Uh, in retrospect, had um, forgotten or buried, and and it, it just it gave me a great deal of of pride and and um, energy about you know and uh, about doing what I did, and 
again, I, I was the benefactor here. I mean, I always told people I probably owe the Navy money for what they taught me. Um, I, I should have been paying tuition for this. No, <laughs> you have to do that for a university. But um, I had a good time. I had a good experience. And um, and I was rewarded with uh, great opportunities. And um, that was my experience. It may not be for everybody, but that was my experience. And uh, for that, I am truly grateful uh, for uh, my country for allowing me to do that. Oh, very well said, Hugh. And and it's immortalized on digital now. So if you ever want to go back and and uh, you know you need some of your notes, if you lose your notes, you can always come yeah. back and replay the podcast. But really, awesome. really very interesting. I mean, uh, thank you for for taking the time to to go through it and take those notes because I mean you are the second person on the podcast who are from Maine. So uh, clearly I, I, I like people from Maine, even though I'm from Pennsylvania. And he was also in the Navy, but a very interesting story. And probably the only person I've ever talked to that has served on the, the presidential yacht uh, committee or, or crew, let's call it crew. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. But this has been Absolutely. great. Uh, thanks again, Hugh. And uh, thanks to Mobius for providing this platform to help both transitioning vets as well as those looking to hire them in the field of maintenance and reliability. And in this case, business development, but all around machines and machinery. So thank you, Hugh. Have a great weekend and uh, certainly appreciate your patriotism and your service. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you very much. All right.